Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bikes or Death podcast. My name is Patrick, and I am your host. I am so glad to be back here on the microphone today and bringing to you a new podcast in this new year. I hope you and yours had a wonderful Christmas break and a happy new year. And even though it's deep into January, um, I've taken a little bit of a break. Um, Not really a break. I've had a lot of things going on uh, behind the scenes, um, as always. But I am back now. I am so excited for this year. This episode is a great one. And have no fear. I've got lots more podcasts coming your way. I've already got quite a few amazing guests in the works, in the pipeline, and getting ready to be delivered to your earbuds. During the break, we had quite a few new Patreon members sign up, so I'd like to give a shout out to the newest sustaining members of the Bikes for Death podcast. Uh, We're going to start it off with Derek W., and then I hope I get this name right. It's O-L-A, Ola, Ola, S, Scott B, Kristen N, Jen C, Dave W, and here's another hard one. Uh, I'm going to go with Raju S, Spencer W, and, oh my gosh, another hard one. Let's try this. Demina. Demi. Damiana. Da, Damiana. Damiana D. I'm going, I'm going to settle on Damiana D, and I hope that's right. Sorry, people, doing my best. <laughs> that's what you get with a uh, not quite a high school education. Almost, I almost know how to read and spell. Almost. All right, everyone. Well, uh, as always, your support is the PSI in my knobby tires that keep this podcast rolling smoothly, keeps the traction nice and grippy, and lets me get shreddy on the microphone. If you'd like to support the show, you can head over to bikesfordeath.com. It's a brand new shiny website, so maybe you want to go take a look at that. You can join my new Patreon friends. Uh, There's a link there that takes you directly to Patreon, and you can sign up for as little as a dollar a month. That gives you access to the brand new private Facebook group that I've created. We are only $44 away from the goal of $500 a month on Patreon, at which time I'm going to create a separate podcast just for patrons. I set up that Facebook group because I anticipate that we're going to host that podcast on Facebook. That's only for patrons, and again, you can find a link for that on my website. You can also shop our store. I've spent a couple dollars uh, stocking the store with shirts and hats and stickers and patches and all kinds of fun stuff. It's just a fun way for you to be able to rep that bikes or death lifestyle and also support your favorite podcast. And lastly, if you want to share the podcast with your friends or head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review, that is the best way to help other people find the show. It lets The world of algorithms know that you are listening, you are loving, and you are enjoying this podcast, and you want other people to find it too. As always, I appreciate your support. I couldn't do it without you. This is a community, 100%. I might be behind the microphone, but it takes a village to make this podcast happen, and you are part of that village, so welcome aboard. All right, well, today's episode, I think, 
is a very good one. Last year, you may remember that I started the podcast with a 15-year-old Alana Rose parent who did a solo self-supported tour around Alaska um, at the age of 14. This year, our first podcast is with Jacob Hora, who is a 15-year-old living in Victor, Idaho. I honestly didn't know Jacob. I was watching the dots on the Fat Bike Pursuit, Jay Peterberry's Fat Bike Pursuit, and uh, I saw that the first dot to pass the finish line was Jacob Hora. Uh, So I checked him out, and it said he was a 15-year-old kid living in uh, Victor, Idaho, Um, And that piqued my curiosity. Anytime I see uh, youngins out there um, doing pretty impressive things, no, not let's not downplay it. Really impressive things. I mean, this kid is truly impressive. He's already on his second coach. He uh, rides with Jay Peterberry uh, quite frequently and trains with him. Um, I'm expecting big, big things. It's exciting to um, hear from the younger generation, um, hear their excitement for uh, cycling, for bikepacking, for adventuring, and to know that this sport is in good hands. I don't think I'll ever run out of awesome guests to talk to. There must be something in the water in Victor, Idaho, because you may remember that uh, Jay Peterberry lives there as well as Kate Boyle. Um, So there's got to be something in the water in Victor, Idaho, and maybe Jacob is the next big name athlete to come out of Victor, Idaho. So we'll see. Um, Anyway, great chat with Jacob. I appreciate him uh, jumping on the mic with me and uh, just sharing the stoke, man. It's always great to talk bikes. And uh, I'm excited for you to hear this one. So without further ado, I'd like to get to the show. But do me a favor. I've got a special request for my listeners to get ready for the uh, one of the next podcasts coming up. Uh, I'm going to need some help from y'all. So if you'll stick around till after the episode, I've got a special request for you. But until then, let's get to the show. And as all, just kidding, today... We have a treat for y'all. Not too long ago, I got an email from a gentleman named Ian Cherry, who I believe lives in New York and uh, was inspired by Miles' intro song and wanted to create his own version. It was cool. He like put on a few finishing touches to it, and uh, we're going to release that cover song of the Miles Arbor intro right now, but... This is only the first part of the song, so if you want to hear the whole thing, head over to bikesordeath.com, and in the blog section, um, we'll put the whole thing so you can hear the entire cover song from Ian. It's super cool. I'm so glad that he was stoked and inspired to um, make his own version of the song. And I'll tell you, whenever Miles created this song, he was always hopeful that other people would get inspired to create their own versions of the song or their own... uh, you know, just her own intro songs. Um, so if that tickles you as something that you would be interested in doing, uh, we're going to play Ian's this week. And uh, who knows, maybe next week we'll play yours. Let's have fun, people. This is a great community. Uh, feel free to participate, reach out, and uh, let's make it our own. All right, everyone. Today's episode is going to be kicked off with the Bikes or Death theme song cover by Ian Cherry. Bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends, so you 
Jacob, welcome to the Bikes for Death podcast. Thanks for uh, hopping on with me tonight. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Yeah, dude, I'm stoked. Uh, just to start off with, man, why don't you uh, tell everybody how old you are and where you live? Um, I'm 15 years old, and I live in Victor, Idaho. Victor. So does that make you a sophomore or a junior? I'm a sophomore in high school. Can you drive yet? Um, I could have my license, but I really enjoy biking everywhere and right now. <laughs> oh, sweet. That's the right answer. Good job. You get a gold star. <laughs> What's the bike inf- infrastructure like there in Victor, Idaho? Is it pretty good for you to be able to commute around everywhere? Yeah, it's super sweet. In the winter, it gets a little bit trickier. I go to school in Jackson, so I drive. I have a 45-minute drive over Teton Pass. So my friend who's a junior, he'll pick me up and then we'll drive to school. But for all my other things, I usually, the roads are plowed. So I'll just have my fat bike with studded tires and I'll usually commute that way. Sometimes they groom the bike path, which is super fun. But other than that, it's mainly just through the roads. Traffic usually isn't too bad. Yeah. So are you doing online schools there or are you uh, actually going to school? I do a little bit of both just because of my biking. So I'm going in person currently five days a week. My school has done a really good job of kind of offering online or in person. I've mainly been going in person, but then just for my events, I'll do either two weeks after or before, or maybe even just a few days so I can get out of school sooner to kind of prepare for everything or either quarantine after an event or before an event. So these events, are these uh, cycling events that you're doing through school? No, it's all a personal deal. I go to a private school, so there's no club sports or school sports. Uh, They do offer that through the public school. I do NICA, so that's uh, just kind of based out of here in the Valley. That's not run by a school or anything. That's just kind of run by uh, Nate and Amanda Carey. Uh, those are our head coaches. So in the summer, I do NICA, but most of the events I just do by myself. Do they count for any kind of school credit at all? They do not. Wow. I think here, uh, now NICA's new here in Texas, you know, where I live in, in Bryan College Station. I believe, I mean, I know it's run through the school and I believe it's like their PE credit or whatever it would be. I always thought it was run through the schools. I didn't realize that. I guess if the school doesn't pick it up, then uh, it sounds like people in the community can just pick up the program and participate that way, huh? Yeah, so that way students who don't go to the school are able to join the program as well. So we have a lot of students who are either homeschooled, go to different schools, so we all kind of come together, and that's our little team for sure. Yeah, how many people you got on your team? 
I think last year we maybe had under a hundred. So that was ages, I think sixth grade to 12th grade. Wow. That's huge. What kind of area is it pulling from? So we kind of live in a valley. So ranging from one end of the valley to the other, I'd say it's about maybe 15 miles uh, long and then maybe like six miles wide. But yeah, people come in from like Detonia, Driggs and Victor. So we're all pretty spread out, but we have so many trail systems that we can all gather in one place safely and then we can disperse and not really see each other until the end, which is really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So does your private school that you go to, do they work with you with like the NICA that you're wanting to do or does your NICA just kind of have to work around whatever the school's got going on? No, I usually work around personally, whatever like my NICA is doing. My school's super cool about me missing school. I'll reach out to my teachers a couple of days beforehand and just kind of tell them like, hey, I'll be missing school. What do you need me to do? And then we do have a PE class once a week. And my teacher knows that I'm an active person. So he's okay if I take that time to do schoolwork, like make up schoolwork, which is super sweet. And then during off season, when it's not NICA, I'll be doing like a lot of these private events, like Pierre's or I did the Utah Mixed Epic. I missed a couple weeks of school for that. But I was able just to reach out to my teachers and just communicate that with them. And they've been super cool about it. Wow, that's awesome. So what are you, are you doing any other sports and through your school or is it just uh, NICA for you? Uh, it's just NICA for me. Uh, personally, I do some swimming in the summer. I do a lot of hiking. And then uh, I do a little bit of cross-country skiing in the winter and downhill skiing. I used to ski race, actually. So I used to do alpine ski racing, but I stopped that, uh, I think, about two years ago now to do, pick up more fat biking, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, which is what we kind of, I guess, for people listening, uh, you were, we'll get into it a little bit more, but uh, Jay Pederberry's Fat Pursuit was, what, last weekend? And uh, you were the first place finisher i don't know if it was a race i'm not exactly sure how they're classifying it but that's kind of how um, i found out about you and that's whenever i reached out to you so yeah you're up there does jay peterberry live in your same town yeah so my area i'm super fortunate to have a lot of cool athletes kate boyle lives here and so does jay peterberry kate boyle is actually a part-time nike coach so i'll get to ride with her I've done a couple one-on-one training sessions with Jay Peterberry and he's kind of become my mentor and just a really good family friend now. He's a super cool dude. And then our area just has a lot of access to incredible biking and just the people who live here are world-class athletes. Yeah, it's great. Do you happen to know um, Ash Alexander who uh, lived in Driggs, Idaho for a really long time, um, but just moved last year? Um, I do not. That name does kind of sound familiar. Yeah. He's older. He's my age, uh, ish, you know, wife and has a couple kids and, uh, they had a family there, but they recently, uh, moved, but I actually, uh, am really familiar. Well, not super familiar, but, um, two years ago I took a trip and just went to visit him up there in Driggs was my first and only time to ever do any, uh, fat biking ever. And I found it to be extremely difficult, but the trails weren't groomed. So I, uh, I've never ridden groomed or manicured fat bike trails. I have no idea. I I'm told it's a lot better. 
It's incredible for sure. Uh, we have a super amazing people. Um, Targi Resort has like a good bit of single track up there for fat biking. And then so does our South Valley Trails. So our local bike shop will groom that. That single track is super, super fun. The downhills on a fat bike, I, I would honestly kind of maybe argue that it's more fun in the winter because uh, you get a little bit more kind of sliding around. And I th- honestly <laughs> think fat biking makes you a better biker, like just balance wise, because if you have to practice low pressure and you have to just stay focused on your line, for sure, you can't kind of look around that often. I need to give it another go. It was real deep snow. It, you know, if like, you stepped off the bike, you were post tolling for several feet, you know, it was just, it was real slow going. So I don't think I got a a fair shot on it, but I am a little bit familiar with that area. And my, my buddy Ash would say, it's just kind of cool to live in an area where you see like Jay Peterberry, you know, just cruising around the streets, always training and always out there riding. For sure. Yeah. We had a Kate Boyles came on, or I always say Kate Boyles, Kate Boyle, came on the podcast um she was my last episode for 2020 so we just had her on so i got you and i guess next we'll need to get jay peterberry on here we'll get everybody in that victor idaho area for sure <laughs> you mentioned uh jay peterberry he actually uh, sent me a message on instagram i guess you told him you're coming on the podcast and he said that you're his protege and he emphasized the J-A-Y. I thought that was cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's our that's our little joke, I guess. Uh, yeah, the young protege. Um, protege, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I've, I started working with him earlier this summer of 2020. I wanted to do this big ride called Fitzbarn. That would be my first ever ultra endurance race, or not, I guess, race, but event of that scale. And I would talk to my coach like my coach at the time, I'm like, Hey, I want to do this. Like what type of training will I need to put into it to be successful? I want to do it at somewhat of a race pace and just kind of practice. I've always liked the longer stuff. And she's like, all right, um, reach out to JP. He's one of my clients. I think he'd be happy to kind of mentor you. And it really just grew from there. Um, I reached out to him, like told him what I wanted to do. Uh, we kind of got onto a little training plan and he actually did the event with me which kind of snowballs into the Utah Mixed Epic. And from there, we've just become really good riding partners. He actually got me a spot to do the Iditarong Invitational up in Alaska this winter. When does that take place? Uh, we leave here out of Victor and go up there the 25th, and the race is on the 28th of February. Oh, that's coming up. Mm-hmm. I thought you meant like in October, November. It's like coming, coming up. No, it's coming, coming up. Oh, man. How many miles is that one? 350 miles. So that was shorter distance. There's a thousand mile one, which they're not doing this year. And then there's a 350. So let's go back. And uh, I'm curious to get a little bit of your personal uh, back history or backstory in cycling. I mean, you're only 15 years old and you're already talking about you know, having you're on your second coach that you've already mentioned and um, have done a few events that, uh, you know, a lot of people your age probably haven't done. You know, what is your personal history with cycling? When did you get into it? So I got into cycling from a young age. I would say I was riding a bike around two to three years old, just a Strider bike. I got my first mountain bike when I was six. I was just riding our local trails around then. 
And then I was just riding with my dad. And then I did my first Nike race, I believe, when I was 12. And I did that for a couple years. I went from being placed 17th in the B group to, I believe, the following year, which I placed uh, fourth overall in Idaho for freshman boys in 2019. And what type of, uh, was it road or cross country? I missed that part. Sorry. So that is uh, cross country mountain biking. That's kind of, I would say I started doing mountain biking as my first deal. And then my first ever long race, which was 60 miles, was JP's Gravel Pursuit. Uh, I think 2018 I did that. And that kind of just sparked my interest into doing the longer stuff. And then from there, my next long race was hit uh was the pierre's 50k which i ended up playing placing seventh overall in the men's open and i was only i think two and a half minutes off first place wow tight race yeah that was a super fun race the single track up there is amazing and then i also started getting into fat biking around that time as well i was the youngest to do fat pursuit at i think 12 Oh, dang. I did the 60K. I didn't complete it. That was a really tough year. Uh, Instead of doing the full loop, he had us do it out and back uh, twice. That was like one of those conditions you were talking about where it was just like if you got off your bike, you were walking for a little bit until you found a little bit harder of a surface. And then I think my biggest jump in cycling would have to been 2020 where I started uh, doing these longer events. I started – my first ever over a century ride was the around the rock, which is starting at our local bike shop in Victor and going around the grand Teton. So it's 50 gravel, 50 paved. That's 154 miles. And I did that when I was I think 14 and I did that in one day. I was going to ask if you did it all in one go or if you stopped or what? Yep, 11 and a half hours my first year. And then this year, I think I did it in 10 hours, around 10 hours and 45 minutes, something like that. Wait, 154 miles in 10 hours? Yeah, like 10. Yeah, the fastest people do it in under 10 hours. I did it in like 10 hours and 45 minutes. Wow. Wow. That's fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say the competition here is super stiff. For sure. Yeah. Well, that's one neat thing about where you live. I mean, it's a outdoor rich area. You have a lot. I mean, like you said, you got Grand Targi right there and you have all four seasons. So you can do all the sports. You have great access to the outdoors and plus like some pretty amazing athletes that live in that area that you can kind of vibe off of and that can push you and teach you and all that stuff. So you're in a good spot for sure. Yeah, I'm super thankful to be in this area and where I live. The outdoor recreation is super sweet. I live probably maybe seven miles from the closest single track. So I just get on my bike usually and I'll pedal over to that and then I'll go for like a two, three hour mountain bike ride and I'll pedal home. Yeah. What happened after that race? So you said it was uh, 10 hours, 45 minutes. And then where did you progress from there? Um, I also did another local race, the Idaho 100. Um, that's an all gravel race that our local shop puts on. And from there, I kind of chose to take my training a little bit more seriously. I talked to a local gym here called Mountain Lab where they put me on a strength program. So I was going to the gym two, three times a week and they gave me a basic cycling plan to follow. 
And that's the coach I was talking about that recommends JP. He goes there for strength training in the kind of his, not off season, but in preparation to do uh, stuff at the beginning of the year in the spring. Man, you are serious about this stuff. I'm super passionate about it for sure. Yeah. I mean, I love it. It's just, uh, you know, it's unusual. I think at the age of 15 to be like this committed, is this normal? I mean, do, in your friend group, like, do you have other friends that are equally as passionate and, you know, taking the steps to do strength training and hire a coach and set goals and make all the school sacrifices like you were talking about to be able to even do this kind of stuff? You know, is that just the culture there or, or do you kind of stand apart a little bit? Uh, I definitely say it's a culture here. Um, a lot of my friends who I know previously ski racing, they give a lot into the sport. Um, they're miss they're leaving school early every day, and then they're gone for Fridays, possibly Mondays too. And then I have friends who Nordic ski, and they're training super hard. And then I also have a couple friends who do like running. So I definitely say like just where we live, the competition and the effort that people are putting into their sport is super super high. A lot of my friends are super good at biking as well. The people that I train with on the Nike team, they're super passionate about it. A lot of them do Nordic skiing in the winter, and then they do cross-country mountain biking in the summer, along with kind of a little bit of enduro side to it. So I, as far as I know, like I'm like, I would say there's basically a kid like me in every discipline here who's pushing themselves, whether that be hockey, ski racing, track like there's definitely like kids out there like me who are like pushing for to be like the best yeah that's awesome man so what kind of uh getting more into like the i don't i don't even know if you've had much like actual bike packing multi-day stuff have you done much of that no um I've, i i would say i've only done two or three events usually people are doing bike packing for a little bit i kind of jumped straight into it and the first event i did was Fitzbarn. that was a i think i did that in 54 hours and that was 430 something miles what kind of race is that i'm not familiar with that one that's a kind of a gravel road uh race i would say it's more of it's like kind of like an adventure race it's mainly gravel there's some there's some double track in there it's all kind of off-road stuff no, no single track, not a whole lot of road. It's most mostly ridden on, I'd say, like wider tire gravel bikes, like 2.0 and stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. Let's talk about Fat Pursuit. I mean, I, I'll have to plead ignorance, at, you know, like I said already with the fat biking. I've lived in Texas my whole life. I shit you not, like uh, last week or the week before, I can't remember, we got four inches of snow and it was the most snow we'd had in like, I don't know, decades. <laughs> so, oh, wow. yeah. Like when I say I don't, uh, have a lot of experience with snow, let that just set the, the stage for my lack of experience. So educate me a little bit and everybody listening about, uh, you know, what Fat Pursuit is. That's J. Peter Verry's event. And also like how it was different this year with COVID. I know it was a little bit different than how it normally goes down. Yeah. So he changed some stuff up this year. It's usually an event held in Island Park. Uh, he changed the course this year. So it took us a little bit different way. He kind of looked at it pretty far out, just seeing what he could do 
to kind of change it for COVID. And then things just kind of like they didn't change really. So he's like, how can I still do this event, but not bring so many people together like in person? So he did it like a do yourself challenge where people could sign up for 200K or 60K bike, foot, or ski. So there's three, three disciplines and two distances you can choose from. He had people sign up all across the country uh, and even around the world. I think he was saying he had two people sign up from Germany. And then, so you could make your own course as long as it was like, as long as it was just like your distance, like 60K or 200K. And then I did his fat camp, which kind of was meant to prepare people for like the 200K or 200 mile. And I did that camp and I was like super stoked. I'm like, ooh, I'm going to go out and do this 200K. And then Jay's like, all right, I'm leaving 7 a.m., like the usual departure time for their event. And a lot of like local people who usually do the event showed up because they wanted to do it and be out there support. We all stayed like six feet apart and we just happened to be under the arch at the same time, riding the same course at the same time over the weekend. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't a be here at this time. It was a more of an ITT style. Yeah, kind of. It was like an ITT style event. There was no, it's not a race. It was just kind of like everyone happened to be there at the same time. Yeah. What were you racing? I was trying to push myself for sure. I'd say right off the front, I was trying to push the pace with my friend Kevin. We were out there riding pretty strong. And then there was a couple other people out there. Jay caught us and we were talking for a while. And then as soon as like we hit, I guess, not halfway, we're like the resupply where you could ride into town where there's going to be an aid station anyway. We got in there, got the gas station, got some food and snacks because from there it's fully self-supported over two top. And I was just kind of thinking, wow, this is super fun. Like I'm feeling really strong. Like I wonder if I can make it under like 24 hours. I was trying to like talk to myself through. I'm like, all right, just try to stay strong on the climbs just be sure to eat and drink. That was super important because in fat biking, you're, you're burning so many calories and you're also getting super depreciated of water just because like when you breathe, you're basically losing liquid. Like it's way more important to stay fueled, I think in a winter event for sure. So I kind of, after the eighth station, everyone kind of stayed there for a little bit and I kind of took off by myself. I rode with this gentleman named Art. He's from Park City. I'd say we rode together for the majority of the event. And then somewhere around after two top, I kind of like pulled away. And then I was just kind of like from there, I was always looking over my shoulder and I was just stomping super hard on the downhills. Like I was just eating and I'm like, ooh, I'm getting really close. I didn't have any navigation either. So I was using a paper map to find my way around through the road. So anytime I came to an intersection, I'd whip it out. I'm like, all right, I'm here. I got to go left or right. Um, that was super sweet. And then the last wait, why got, why didn't you have navigation? I so I, ha- I had the route downloaded on my e tracks like Garmin e tracks, and then as soon as I got out of the start, like it just like there wasn't responding super well to the to the cold because it was pretty chilly in the morning, and I think the batteries were left over from a previous event, so that usually it runs off double A batteries, but you could also charge it. So I think the charging didn't like the cold, which then it would fall back on the AA batteries, but the AA batteries I had in there weren't new, they were old. So I was just kind of riding either whoever was in front of me, I was following their tire, or I was just using that paper map. 
Okay. Yeah, whenever you're in the lead, though, you don't have a tire to follow. No, you're you're blazing trail for sure. So how did it go down after that? It went down pretty well. It got really cold, I think, in the final 20 or so miles. We got down to this lower section. We got off the groom stuff because they, they groom all the stuff up there, mostly in Island Park. I think the reason we were able to do it so fast this year was the conditions were super prime. Um, they groomed it and it was basically a rock hard surface because it was cold and the snow had time to set up. Usually you're pushing through your bike on some of, some of those sections. If it snowed even six inches, like that's kind of a struggle fest, but we could not have asked for better conditions. The navigation I'd say was probably the trickiest part in the last five miles or so. You're coming off main roads and you're taking like double tracks um, that are kind of groomed. You can kind of tell where they are. And then you have to cross the highway at one point and you have to find the right road to jump off. So that part was the only place I was a little confused about um, where I had to really look at the map uh, to find my way to make sure I was going the right way. How like dangerous is like this event? I, you know, again, being from like Texas and it doesn't get that cold here, I have to assume like hypothermia and like, I, like how cold was it? Absolutely. Um, Jay does an extremely well job. Like when this race happens in person, I've seen like, like it get down to really cold temperatures and he's super good about, he has a mandatory gear list. So people can be out there and survive in these conditions. I think one year it was 40 below and only like a few people finished. That was definitely a rough year. Uh, he did a really good job. Like everybody had the mandatory equipment, but I think some people just didn't know how to use it. So he was pulling people off course. And then I think this year it got down to negative 11 when I was in one section. I think that was the coldest. I had to put on a buff with like a hole in it that I use so it doesn't like frost over. So I'm able to breathe, but I had to cover all my skin so I didn't get frostbite like on any areas. So I took a, quite a few precautions. I carry like a lot of safety equipment for sure. I try to, to stay safe out there. You're not really in avalanche conditions. I think your worst case scenario is like you sweat and then you get super cold. Right. And you don't have like all the right layers or you don't have like the proper safety equipment. Um, this year, because it was do-it-yourself, there was no required gear list. So I took a pretty minimal approach to it. I didn't bring rain gear. I didn't bring two spare tubes. Like there's a couple things I didn't bring. So I'm like, all right, I don't need this. Like I was trying to do it like racer style. Uh, Jay, didn't, Jay didn't have a sleeping bag. He just brought some puffy gear, an e-bivvy, and his sleeping pad. Yeah. So what did you sleep? Did you bring a sleep kit? Um, yes, uh, that was one of my parents' requirements. I had to, <laughs> I had to bring a sleeping bag, a bivy, and a pad for worst case scenario. They still make me bring some safety equipment, which I'm totally a fan of. Like I think I was happy. Like I didn't sleep, but I was happy to have that stuff because towards the finish, I'm like, if I had another 40 miles to go, I'd be sleeping right here. Yeah, like I was I was basically looking for places to sleep, even though I had five miles left. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. As, as you've been talking, I've been thinking about, I mean, I'm a parent, I have two daughters, so I've been thinking about what your parents think about this. I assume they have to be overall pretty supportive. Yes. My parents have been super supportive of my sport. 
I ride with my dad all the time. My mom's getting back into biking. I ride with her a lot. And then my dad's taught me a lot because he's done a lot of backpacking. He's taught me a lot of skills that just kind of translate over into this ultra endurance world of bike, bike packing and bike racing. And then I always have a tracker with me when I'm doing longer rides. I use like the Garmin InReach Mini. I'll send them a link so they can tell where I am that has an SOS feature. So I think as long as like they know I'm prepared, they feel comfortable with me being out there. And a lot of these events I've done, I've been with someone. I've been with JP. He's done a lot of these events with me. So they know I'm with someone who's know what, who knows what they're doing. Yeah. Well, it makes a huge difference. I mean, we're lucky to have the technology to be able to stay in reach. Ooh, that's a good commercial. In reach with the Garmin. In reach yeah, mini. Yeah, yeah. Stay in reach <laughs> uh, with the Garmin. Stay in, in reach. reach. There you go, man. Uh, pay me. <laughs> but I mean, it, it, it's, I mean, you know, as a parent, if my daughter wanted to go off and do a bikepacking trip, I mean, in my opinion, you're safer out there if you're prepared and you know what you're doing, you got the right equipment. I think you're safer out there than you are driving down, you know, the streets of wherever you live, you know? I mean, um, that's just my own personal opinion. So I think as long as you're prepared, you're going to have an awesome time. Yeah, that's the key. Yeah. And from your parents' perspective, I mean, as long as, you know, you're prepared and you take a sleeping bag and a, 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 a pad, right? That's what you had to take, a sleeping pad. Yep. I brought a zero degree bag, an emergency bivy and a sleeping pad. I love it. So educate us, me and anyone else who hasn't done something like this before. What are some safety protocols that you would, you should know going into, you know, fat biking and you know, negative 11 degree weather. Um, are there some like golden rules that you should know before you go out into that type of environment? Yeah. So I kind of learned everything I know about negative weather from my dad and JP and our local bike shop. Like when I was getting into fat biking, they explained some stuff to me. And then like I went to JP's fat camp and I learned a ton. I highly encourage people who want to do something like this to go to his fat camp. He teaches you a ton. So riding in those temperatures, I learned that it's super important not to sweat. That's like one of the number one things is you don't want to sweat. And then like layering is super important. Like you want to have layers that if you get wet, you're still going to be warm. So I bring a lot of wool and synthetic stuff, stuff that's warm when it's wet. And then just having like basic survival training basically so knowing how to use your stove that you bring out there so you can boil water or knowing how to start a fire kind of knowing how to handle the pressure of like ooh, it's super cold out like don't push yourself to where you're sweating and then if you stop for a snack you're gonna get super cold and then just knowing to like cover all all your your skin so you don't get frostbite so it's a lot of little things that if you didn't pay attention to you'd be in trouble well, I have a question. So that was my thought because I've seen the pictures from the fat pursuit and you guys all look like Eskimos. I mean, you're bundled up, you can't see any skin, you know, and I'm thinking, I mean, I've ridden a fat bike once, but I know, I mean, they're big old bikes. You got extra gear. You're you know carrying extra, extra weight with you because you need more to survive and colder elements, obviously. So I don't understand how you can possibly keep from sweating. Yeah. So it's, it gets really tricky. Um, so we have these big things on our gloves called pogies. I would say those help a lot. So you don't have to wear like a bunch of gloves that kind of cover up your veins. That's kind of a spot where 
you can let heat out. So if you roll up your sleeves a little bit, you can kind of put them in the pogies and just like, you just got to be super, super strict with yourself, like unzipping a jacket, letting some like wind flow come in there and then wearing the right layers on your feet. We use vapor barriers. So I use a turkey bag. Like most people use turkey bags. They put that over their liner sock and then their sock. And then they put that in their boot and they don't have to worry about getting their socks wet, their feet wet. Well, what is this thing? A a turkey liner? Yeah, turkey bag, they call them. What is a turkey bag? It's like a durable plastic bag, something you have to worry about ripping. I haven't really looked at the purpose of it. I just know I use it to put over my feet. Well, I've definitely like heard of the Walmart shopping bag, but typically like I've just heard of that in between like your shoe, then the Walmart bag and then your sock and then your foot, you know? So, but what you're saying is you get a, a turkey bag between your base layer sock and your wool sock or whatever it might be. Yep. So you got your, you got your liner sock, they call them a turkey bag and then your, your warm sock. So your wool sock and then your boot. Oh man, I'm definitely Googling that. I think you just saved my toes. They're super, super sweet. And where do you get a turkey bag at? Um, I just buy them at our local grocery store. I'm sure you can look on Amazon as well. They're a super common item like that you don't think you'd see, but then you realize, oh, I've definitely seen that before on the shelf. Yeah, I guess it's just a bag that a turkey comes in, but I usually buy my turkey and it comes in a bag. I didn't know you could just buy the bag. Yeah, uh, I don't have any laying around, but I'd have to read the packaging to know exactly its purpose. I just know that Jay recommends them for your feet to stay warm. I recently, uh, this has nothing to do with cycling, but I, I saw a story in the news where um, this teenager got into a wreck and was in some remote area and wound up making a, I guess like an igloo type thing in the snow and was able to stay alive. Do you know how to, do you know how to do that? Like I've seen Bear grills do that and stuff where you like dig <laughs> a hole. And <laughs> Is that like one of the things he teaches you how to do? It's funny you say that. Uh, our school did like give us a lesson because we were studying like snow science so they taught us how to make like a a quiglu which is like a just basically a giant pile of snow with a hole in the top and it's just insulated and super warm um i think because we have we always have the proper usually we have the equipment to spend the night out there so he teaches you how to create like a proper sleeping area so like how to dig like wider than your pad, a little bit longer than you to make sure you look for trees that won't fall on you. So basically you're creating maybe potentially a windbreak. So you dig down a little bit. So you're out of the wind. You dig down into the snow until you try to hit grass. That's like usually what you're looking for. So that could be upwards of two feet. And then you kind of create yourself this little area where you put down your pad and your sleepy bag and your bivy. I got another one for you. What about, okay, so it's 11 to negative 11 and you got to go to the bathroom and i'm not talking about number one number two like to me that just seems like the worst thing you i'm imagining having to take off like you know 14 layers of clothes and you know do the whole business (laughs) um absolutely um so we always carry like a bigger puffy that you put on and then maybe something like rain pants or puffy pants to put over your legs and then the key I'd say for winter, winter cycling, like the best thing you could purchase is a pair of like bib shorts or not bib, uh, opposite of bib 
just regular like chamois shorts without bib straps. So you don't have to take off all your layers. You're just dropping your pants. Right. Um, so you throw on those layers. You try to like, hopefully you're dry, but if not, you try to throw on enough layers to where like, if the wind picks up or something, you got stuff to stay warm enough, then you can take that stuff off, pack it back in your bike and then keep going. So for bathroom, I'd say you have to try to find a spot, maybe kick the snow out of the way. And then, yeah, that stuff. I haven't actually haven't had to go number two <laughs> in, in that cold of weather. I'd say that's a question for someone who's a little bit more experienced than me. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to think like what I would do in that scenario. <laughs> be fast. <laughs> yeah. Just be fast. Like put on that, put on that extra jacket and maybe pants and then not bib shorts because then you got to take it all off. Okay. Let's say, uh, you, one thing I'm like picturing about like a fat bike race that I think is kind of interesting that I never really considered is like you're racing all these other people, but at the same time, I feel like you're not able to put out max effort because if you're putting out max, well, you're probably never max effort realistically in an endurance race. But I mean, you know what I'm saying? You're not, uh, you're trying to regulate your body temperature. So you can't push maybe even as hard as you would like to, does that factor in when you're racing? I mean, if you, you know, let's say you got 50 miles left and yep. you know, someone's closing the gap on you. You're like, well, shit, I can't push any harder cause I'm going to sweat. Yeah. You just don't want to get caught up in other people's race really. So I try to dress light if I know what I'm going to be doing. Like, all right, dude, you're wearing this amount of clothing so you can push this hard, but you can't drop below this. Like you got to find the perfect layering system to where like, all right, I'm going to push super hard. So maybe I unzip my jacket and I take this vest off. And then I'm like, now I'm a little bit cold when I just took all that off. But once I get pedaling, I'm going to be perfect. That's going to be the ideal temperature. So you try to bring stuff to where you got your, you got your base starting stuff to where like you might be sprinting, you might be going really hard, but you're not going to be sweating just because you have, you might be sweating a little bit. You can't always prevent that. You might be sweating a little bit, but you're, you have enough clothes off to where you're not going to, you're not going to get super hot and you're not going to be drenched in sweat. And then maybe you start descending. Then you whip out like that, the rain jacket and you zip that up and it's kind of a wind protection keeps like, traps in the heat and then once you get to the bottom and it's a hill again you take it off and you stuff it back in so it's all about regulating that temperature and finding a clothing system that works for you about like based off what pace you want to be pushing because you can be pushing like max race pace effort and you might be like when i do intervals at home i'll be wearing maybe some high knee socks some bib shorts and then like a long long john bottom and like, I know like, yes, I'm going to be cold, maybe pedaling there. But when I'm doing those intervals, I'm going to be super, super sweaty. Like, so I want to be wearing like not a whole lot of clothing. And then when I go out on these longer events and I know I'm going to probably be pushing the pace, maybe I won't wear that long underwear layer and I'll jump up to a Nordic pant, something that breathes in the back, but has some wind stop up front. And then between my sock and my long john, there's that little bit of skin without protection under the Nordic pant. And that kind of helps vent you a little bit. That's what I do for my bottom. And then for the top, I'll go with like a t-shirt. And then I have kind of a little bit thicker, I would say like kind of a soft shell jacket that I really like. And that's kind of my main riding jacket. 
And then if I get colder from there, I'll throw on a vest, a windbreaker, like a rain jacket. And then like my synthetic puffy jacket is basically my last layer. And I know if it gets colder than that, I just got to keep pushing harder. <laughs> yeah. You got to turn up the body heat if it gets colder than that, huh? Yep. Yeah. I didn't think about that, but that's a good point. I guess you can just take off layers you know, you can increase your body temperature as long as you're at the same time taking off layers to keep everything regulated the wh where you want it. Mm -hmm. So now that I've talked to you a little bit, I'm guessing, tell me if I'm right or wrong, that the fat pursuit was more of like a training opportunity for Iditarod. Yeah. So I kind of used that kind of use that event, that distance to practice my layering system at high pacing or low pacing. I brought a lot of the gear I'll be using in ITI and then just kind of practicing messing around my bike, figuring out my systems. And then also like the, you got to look at it from a training perspective and be like, Ooh, that was a good base mileage, 200 K. That's not a short distance on a fat bike. Um, so that was kind of like a good base distance for me. But also I would say fat biking is almost well, a high percentage of it's like all mental game. So like just practicing riding in that cold temperature or practicing pushing at that, like maybe even a higher temperature, it got pretty warm. I'd say maybe got to like 28 degrees at one point, which can be a little bit warm. So I was like wearing a pretty light layer and I was just like, just trying to focus not to wet out my, my bottoms. Cause I didn't have anything underneath them besides the Nordic pants. So it was a good chance for me to practice that layering system. What, uh, what aspect of it is, is mental, uh, more so than maybe like other cycling that you've done? Uh, I'd say going back to when you were telling me about your fat bike, biking experience, like you might not have been on a groomed trail and that's like what fat biking can be sometimes not on a groomed trail. So you might be walking for 25 miles in knee deep powder and you just got to keep moving. Like, when you're racing, you don't want to stop like every 10 steps because that time adds up. So it's all about like just having the mentality to finish, to like keep moving forward. That's super important. And just being like, oh, you got, you honestly, you got to love it. You got to be happy with what you're doing to, to keep going. Like if it's negative 20 and you're cold, you just got to be like, oh, this is awesome. Like, just keep pedaling. Like, <laughs> it's just so much more mentally tough because you're not moving as fast. Like, when you're moving a mile an hour walking through knee-deep snow and you're 40 miles from the next aid station or whatever, like, that mentally is just really hard on you. And you got to be like, all right, just like, I play tricks on myself. I'm like, ooh, I'll just go to that next tree. And it's like, oh, that tree looks the same. I'll just go there. And you just got to like, I just keep going forward because like stopping like, and you just got to, again, like ride your own ride. Like don't, if someone passes you, don't feel down about it. Like they're doing their own thing. You're to keep going. Like it's going to get better. Like just, it's always going to get better. It's not going to stay the same forever. It's going to get better at some point. Man, great, great mental out outlook for sure. Uh Maybe JP's rubbing off on you. <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely definitely some tricks he taught me to like stay happy out there. Yeah, you got to, man. I one trick that I play on myself is if I'm if things get hard or things start to hurt, is I like to flip it and be grateful for it and think about how hard I had to work 
to suffer this bad, you know, like I've worked all day to hurt this bad, you know, and try to like, but there's a lot of, lot of tricks that you can play, but ultimately you got to be there and you got to be in your own head and, and deal with it, which is something that really appeals to me about, you know, this type of sport is the mental endurance side of it. Because, you know, in my opinion, strength can only take you so far. I mean, you're, you're familiar with the tour divide and some of these other events that are, you know, thousands of miles long. You can't really train for something like that other than in your mind, you know, and your mind is where you can really do the work. And so if you can have a good positive mental attitude and, uh, just keep pushing forward, I mean, what else can you do? Right. Yeah. Like you said, strength only goes so far. You can be the most like fit person on the planet but then like as soon as the go gets tough like are you gonna stop like because it's really cold and then you got need eat powder for 100 miles or are you gonna like have someone pass you who might be like not as fit as you but just like smiling and looking around and is super happy to be out there like i think for a lot of the stuff like my mentality for fat biking like the strength that i've gotten there has applied like in my own personal life, like for schoolwork, honestly, like, oh, this assignment's really hard. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, you just got to push through it, get it done. Like this assignment's not going to last forever. Like, I think it's just being mentally strong is super important for everything. I started off my uh, podcast in 2020 um, with a 14-year-old. Well, actually, she was 15 at the time whenever we spoke as well. Alana Rose Parent, she's based out of Alaska, and she had done... Um, when she was 14, she did a thousand mile uh, solo self-supported bikepacking trip around or th- through Alaska. And that's one thing that I we, we talked about is like, I can't imagine what it must be like at like 15 years old to have so much like self-confidence, you know, to like realize that you can put yourself in some very challenging situations physically, mentally, you know, you're tired, hungry, whatever, cold, and no one's coming to get you, you know, I mean, yeah, you could hit the button and call the cavalry, but, you know, that's not the point of why you do it, right? You're going out there to push yourself and challenge yourself. So the only way you're going to get back is through pushing your bike or riding it or whatever you got to do. And having that knowledge and using that you know, in your everyday life is such a huge tool for anyone, you know, me as a 40 year old guy, but I could, yeah, I couldn't imagine what it'd be like to be 15 and to have that kind of awareness of like how capable human beings really are and, and how to be able to really like truly get through some difficult things. Yeah. It's like, I think, I remember when I was training for my first big ride, which was 60 miles. And I only did like 30 until the actual day of the event. That was my biggest ride, 30 miles. And that was like super hard on me because it was windy when I was trying to do it. And I just like was put myself down. And I think now looking back at it and I'm like, if I had done like another, like if I had done six, another 30 miles in that wind, I'm just like the payback when I was racing, like at JP's 60 mile gravel for days, I would have looked at it so much better. Like I would have been like so much happier to be out there. And I like, I try to train in really hard conditions when it's windy, when it's rainy, like when it's like super hot out, like I try to find some miserable conditions so I can be super grateful for like when it's awesome conditions and you can just be super happy with it all. Have you ever thought about like what attracts you to ultra endurance cycling racing? I mean, 
this isn't easy. Definitely takes suffering and a lot of unpleasantness most people would consider it but i mean i can talk to you and tell you love this stuff so have you ever thought about what it is that uh, draws you to it i think just like the the soloness like just like the after feeling honestly is so incredible for me when i was done with my first 60 miles i'm like wow like i looked at the map i'm like that's a really long way and i feel awesome and i think being young like it's also super exciting to people and come up to me and be like, wow, good job. Like that feels super good to me. And I do it also because it just makes me super happy to be out there, like amongst the elements, the mountains. Cause like these distances usually get super remote. And I think that's super cool for me because not a lot of kids my age are out there doing that stuff. I'm like, wow, how many people get to see this like on a bike, like this young or whatever, like, or ever. Yeah, ever truly. Like, I'm super happy to live right. You just have more time than the rest of us. Yeah, like, I'm just looking around on these super long rides and I'm like, oh, I got like, I got 100 miles to go. And I'm like, oh, I don't want it to be over quite yet. Like, this is pretty sweet view. Like, sometimes I'll just stop, take it in for like maybe a minute or two. And then just the after feeling of like, wow, you just did something like super big. Like, the after feeling for me is super rewarding like all the hard work that i've put in like like every day of training that's gone into it has paid off i love that so talking about training and getting ready for iti uh in like a month and a week or so in about five weeks uh what did you learn um actually let's start with what's uh what's the best piece of gear that you brought with you how about that um i was super grateful for this kind of lightweight rain jacket kind of deal um, that had some pit zips i wore that for when it got really cold like i was pretty blown away by how much minimal clothing i was wearing because i was going so i was pushing the pace so hard i'm like wow i'm only wearing basically two jackets and a vest and i'm really warm and it's negative 11 out so i think that piece of clothing i'll start wearing a lot when it's that cold i don't know if i'll bring it to alaska because it's not a full Gore-Tex rain jacket. And then another piece of clothing I was super pretty stoked on was like a synthetic puffy jacket that I brought that whenever I stopped, I'd throw that on and I was just like, I wasn't cold. I was warm and I was super happy. And I think that's the key to doing these events is just like staying happy. <laughs> yeah. And, and comfortable. Uh, yeah. Being comfortable has a lot to do with that. In my opinion, what about your bike? What, what were you riding and how did it uh, hold up? Are you going to make any changes to that? Yeah, so I was running a 2019 GX Salsa Muckluck, just like a stock build with the frame bags and pogies. And uh, I ran a rack on the rear for to strap my sleep roll to it. Um, I think because the conditions were super good, I could have gone with a potentially narrower tire. I was running uh, some 4.8 Dillinger 5, so that's their studded tire at 4.8. And then it was on a 26 inch rim. I'm like, I think I could have gotten away with a 70 mil rim uh, or 70, 27, five inch tire with like maybe a, like a 4.3. Like, I think I could have gone faster based on my tire decision because the conditions were super good. And then I was super stoked to have Eagle because some of those climbs on a loaded fat bike are not easy. Like going up Sawtell with a, 30 40 pound bike like you're like dude this is hard and then you <laughs> yeah. get to the top and you're like ooh, now i get to go downhill and that's 
super fun. You're cruising. But I think I was super stoked in some conditions to have that wider tire because I did lower the pressure and I wouldn't get beaten up as much like because there were some ice chunks and then it was just kind of bumpy in some sections. So I think having some narrower tires, I think I could have gone a little bit faster. But all in all, I was super happy with my bike. What about uh, any gear that either didn't work or uh, you just didn't need it and you probably going to leave it at home the next time? Um, I think due to the temperature rating of what we were riding and just kind of being a geek and looking at aerodynamics, I think I could have gone with uh, maybe some smaller pogies and maybe a little bit bigger of a liner glove. I think that would have been that would have made for a little bit more cleaner of a bike, but also a little bit more nice riding feel to it because sometimes these pogies come up to your elbows and they can be a little annoying but they also make great storage places so i'll put food in there i don't want to freeze i would i would say maybe a little bit smaller of a pogey just i think the important deal to this ride is like looking out and trying to predict like what you need and like what you can get away with and like being a racer i always look at weight and like do i really need this like I didn't bring a white gas stove, which is like traditionally what you bring for a cold event if you're going to be boiling water. I didn't boil any water on this race except for our one mandatory boil that Jay requires. So he knows how to, you know how to use your gear. I brought a jet, or not a jet boil, like a whisper light, super minimal stove that like gets down to like basically the size of my hand. And, a, and I put that in a pot and put it on my down tube. And then I, whipped it out once, boiled my water, <laughs> packed it away, and then kept going. How did you get water? Were you just putting snow in a bottle and letting it melt? or? Yep. So you put in a little bit of water so that has something to like kind of steam and heat up, and then you just start filling it with snow until the snow boils. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. So as you're riding, it's like mixing with the water, and it's kind of just like eventually it's going to heat up and turn into water. No, so you, you get off your bike and then you clear clear whatever, like a little spot to where you can set up your stove and then you're doing it right there. So you're taking the pot that's on top of the stove and you're putting in snow oh. and then you let it boil and then you can put it in a water bottle and then you pack up your stove and keep going and you have like a nice hot oh, furnace. Oh, okay. So you only needed to do that once through the whole race is what you were saying. Yep. So I didn't, I didn't need to like fill fill my bladder or fill up my bottle that was on my bike because I was running low on water. And the only reason I had to do it was because it was part of the the skill that Jay requires you to know when you're out there is how to use your stove because that's super important. That can be your your lifeline. Like if you got some food but it's frozen, you know, like maybe you need to boil some water to keep yourself warm while you put that food on your body to dethaw or whatever. Like I think a stove's super crucial piece of equipment to have while you're doing these rides yeah for sure so you got i just looked at my calendar you're like exactly five weeks away from the iti 300 right or 350 uh yep 350 350 350 what does training look like now what are you going to do in the next five weeks to get ready so uh, a couple weeks Building up to right now, I've been doing a lot of strength and just long endurance rides. Um, so I've been hitting the gym three days a week. We're going to dial that back down to two weeks and kind of focus more on mobility. And then I'm picking up some interval days. So I'm doing Tuesday, Thursday interval days. I usually do like 
three 15 minute blocks on Tuesday and then I'm doing like five, three minute blocks on Thursday. And then I'm hitting the gym Monday, Wednesday, and then Friday's kind of my off day. And then I'll pick it up on Saturday with like a three hour ride or longer. And then Sunday's kind of a recovery day for the week. Uh, yeah. I mean, at this point you're, uh, you're almost a professional athlete. Uh, you're going to school all day and then you're either, and then it sounds like you're probably doing homework or training, uh, the rest of the time. Yeah. So that's kind of the balance that I have to figure out. Um, our school gives us like an hour and a half. They call it a learning lab at school to do homework. So I'm like sitting at a desk. I'm like telling my friends like, Oh, Hey, do you want to go play basketball down the court or whatever during that, that free time? And I'm like, nah, dude, I got to sit down so I can go work out after school for biking. Um, so I try to keep a well-balanced deal between school and biking. Um, definitely can get tricky, especially if end of semester, I had a lot of work that they had, they put on us to do. Um, that was just so they can get more grades into the grade book. So I spent a little bit time before my workout and after my workout doing schoolwork. So, after ITI, what other goals, if any, do you have for this year? Um, I've kind of looked at my schedule a little bit, but not too much in depth because I'm not sh- too sure what 2021 will look like. So I've signed up for a few races that I know I really want to do that I wasn't able to do last year, like the Butte 100. I'll be doing the 50-mile one. And then I wasn't able to do Pierre's, but I'm stoked to be going back there hopefully this summer and – I'm not sure what distance I want to do yet, but I'm stoked to be doing that. And then I'm doing Rebecca's private Idaho hundred mile. And then a lot of the events that I did for 2020, I want to move over into 2021 and do them again. So I'd like to go back and do potentially the Utah mixed Epic again, um, maybe Fitz barn, and then just kind of look at more races like that. Um, hopefully we'll have a Nike season. So I'll be doing some Nike racing, I'd be super stoked to be go see my friends that are kind of all over Idaho that I race with. Yeah. I'd be happy to see them again and race with them. Hopefully that'll happen. Yeah, it's still, uh, we're not out of the woods yet, but hopefully the uh, light is at the end of the tunnel and we'll get back to some kind of normalcy in the near future, nearish. Mm-hmm. Now I'm kind of curious, like what, and I mean, you have a lot of time to figure this out still, but um, what are you thinking about whenever you graduate high school? Do you have, uh, any goals? Uh, are you thinking about college? Are you wanting to like take a serious shot at racing or what are you thinking? Yeah. So I'm kind of looking at colleges that will allow me to do some bike racing. Um, while I'm at school, I've looked at the Fort Lewis college. I know they have a really good mountain bike program. And then I'm also been kind of maybe looking since schools are doing a lot of online stuff now. I'm potentially thinking about like maybe doing a semester online so I can travel and hit up a lot of the races that I've been wanting to do. So maybe I definitely want to go to college. Uh, That's pretty important to me to have another skill that's not biking, but I also want to pursue my biking passion and hopefully that will lead to somewhere where I can take that into a serious career. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, man. I mean, uh, two years ago when I started this podcast, there weren't any other bikepacking podcasts going on at the time. And, you know, now there's quite a few and we're seeing races and events pop up and 
this, the popularity of it is, is growing. So who knows where it'll be in three or four years from now, you know? Yeah. When I'm in college, maybe I'll have a ultra endurance bike packing team. That's part of the college. They might, if I do my job well enough, uh, we might, that, that might go down. Uh, anyway, man, I appreciate you coming on the show and chatting with me. Uh, it was super cool. Like I, I watched the, um, the track leader event, the race, whatever you want to call it, a fat pursuit. And I was just, I watched the dots go around and then I clicked on, I was like, okay, well, who's this Jacob, you know, person? I never heard of him. So I clicked on your name and it said you were 15 years old. I was like, what? I want to talk to that dude. <laughs> Cause you beat out, uh, yeah, I, I, Jay Peterberry was in there. Rebecca, uh, Rebecca Rush was in there. Yeah. I love track leaders. Um, especially, especially since it's up kind of like year round to people doing personal time trials or races, you can kind of go and check it out. I think that's a super cool thing for events to have. You're able to kind of like not necessarily learn about your competitors, but like kind of see where everyone's at and just kind of get a feel of the event. That's a super cool thing to have. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, I had a lot, a lot of fun talking about bikes and stuff. Yeah, we'll appreciate it. Maybe we'll do it again. Uh, good luck uh, with your future endeavors, specifically the ITI, man. That'll be fun. I'll definitely be uh, watching your dot. So go out there and give them hell, my friend. Awesome. It was awesome to meet you. Thanks so much, Patrick. All right, bud. Have a good one. All right, all right, all right. I hope y'all enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Uh, Jacob, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, and kudos to you, my friend. Keep it up. You have so many tools in your arsenal that so many people listening wished that they had at the age of 15. If you will keep that drive and that determination and keep working towards your goals, I guarantee you that nothing is off limits. You can accomplish anything that you want to do. It's not always going to be easy. Um, nothing in life rarely is. But if you're willing to work hard and keep a good attitude and keep pushing the same way you have, um, really, man, anything is possible. So keep it up. Keep the stoke alive. Thanks for being an inspiration. And thanks again for coming on the podcast. All right, everyone. Well, this year on the podcast, I'm going to try to do something different. You know me. There's no uh, guidebook here that I'm following. I just make it up as I go. And I'm always looking to improve. And one request that I've got over the years is to tackle topics like how to build a route or how to pack your bags on your bike or how to cook or, I mean, the list goes on and on, right? Um so this year, I'm going to attempt to tackle some of these topics, as many as I can, in a podcast format. And to be honest, um, I'm a little bit nervous because I think a lot of this stuff is good to have a visual where you can sit on maybe YouTube and like see the maps and see the gear that's being put into the bike and all that stuff. Um, so I think, there's, I think that the podcast is a little bit limited in that way, um, but uh, that's not going to stop me from giving it a shot. Um, I think we have a couple options at our disposal. One, we have the podcast where I can, uh, where I can obviously share some tips and tricks that way. And then also we have the website with the blog section. So, um, I could potentially do some of it maybe as a blog format with pictures and routes and all that kind of stuff. So here's the deal. That's what I'm going to be doing. You're welcome to send me an email to 
bikes at bikesordeath.com and let me know what types of topics or tips, tricks, how-tos that you're interested in. So to get your juices flowing, in a couple weeks, I'm headed to Big Bend for my Big Ben birthday bash. I'm turning 41 and there is no rather no place I'd rather be. So I figure this is a great opportunity to tackle some of the questions that you may have. I'm going on a trip in a desert, very remote. What things would you like to know? So if you've got questions, queries, comments, whatever, uh, shoot them to me at bikes at bikesordeath.com. Let me know what you want to know, and I will do my best to get some answers for you. How does that sound? All right, well, listen, that is all I got for y'all today. Thank you so much for all of your support, um, especially in this little downtime I had while I took a little break and uh, got some got my house in order. But like I said, I've got some great episodes coming up. Uh, Rebecca Rush is confirmed. Lael Wilcox is confirmed. Uh, plus many, many more that I will not spill yet. Um, but I can promise you it is going to be a great year of podcasting. I've got big goals as always. And uh, the only thing I need is my listeners to show some love. Uh, this podcast doesn't happen without your support. So if you are finding enjoyment, if you are getting inspired, if you're finding stoked to get out there and ride your bike, uh, do me a favor and find a way to support the podcast and help it keep going and growing strong into 2021 and beyond. Head over to bikesordeath.com, find a way, chip in, let's make this thing happen. All right, everybody, you know what to do. Thanks for listening. Now go ride your damn bike. Oh, death.